0: Hey, you guys, it's another episode of Observations. I am Rob Liefeld bringing you my comic book obsessions, walking you back from my childhood through my teen years to when I got hired to all the different uh, ways that I have seen and experienced the comics industry as with a fan, as a professional. We are still deep on the fan side of things, having the very best time of the day. We are deep diving up for, for people who are of my age, you are going to have a blast as we deep dive this today. Um, everybody else, you're going to learn something new because today we are going headfirst, diving straight into Power Records, the Power Records era, which was an era that found comic books on 45 RPM records that would accompany a comic book and give you this little 45 that you would put on your record player and it would talk the comic through with you. Voice actors, uh, w- were employed. The word balloons, the, the, uh, the, the narrative, the, the captions all read to you. And at every different page turn, it would be ding. If you heard that ding, you were turning that page. They trained you right at the outset. They tell you. These on the cover, they were the size slightly bigger than your average comic book. Many of them, many of the ones that Marvel uh, produced were actual adaptations of existing Marvel comics from a few years earlier. And these were everywhere when I was a kid. Uh, among my favorite in my hands right now is the Incredible Hulk at Bay. Now I'm going to backtrack it here because we got just jumped right in there. Uh, got your attention, Power Records. The entire angle on these was the action comes alive as you read. Power Records, all right? The action comes alive, that's all over these. So, let me back up, because Power Records had a tremendous impact on kids my age because they were everywhere. And when I mean everywhere, what I'm talking about is they were in Sears, they were in May Company, they were in department stores, They weren't, uh, you know, in specialty shops because kids my age didn't have specialty shops to go to. I've um, covered before that comic book stores to me were something I started to encounter in in mid to late 1980. But from 75 on, that is the domain of 7-Elevens, liquor stores, stop and go, the the grocery store, the market. You know, a guy on social media the other day, I, I saw him talking to someone else on a chain that was going back and forth and he's like, what are you talking about? You got comic books at 7-Eleven? I've never heard of that. And I just sat there and I read. I've never heard of that, this Twitter said, of 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 buying comic books at 7-Elevens. And I'm like, buddy, that was our only distribution uh, source. As you have heard here, that is where I got my treasury editions, whether it was Superman, Spider-Man, or Superman, Muhammad Ali. The dawn of the Bronze Age happened for me on the spinner racks, as you well know. But these were not on spinner racks. So let me let me paint a picture of you uh for you of kid being a kid 1975 through 1978 79 so many of the uh department stores had dedicated toy and record areas but there were in southern california where i grew up and i'd love to know what you guys had and i'm sure you'll you'll you know inform me after this age you guys will let me know what was coming and going in your in in, in your youth Especially if you were in the '70s like me, but in Southern California, there was a precursor to Target called Gemco, G-E-M-C-O. Gemco. All I knew was that big red logo, Gemco. There was one not down the, not far down the street from where I lived, and I would hop in with my mom and dad any time they went. Man, my ears boom, queued up. Gemco, I'm getting in the car. There was another called the Treasury. The Treasury. And what stood out to me for these two was it wasn't just where you got your animals Kids my age know, you know, you matched the 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 medium-sized bear on the pants with the medium-sized bear on the shirt, and you had your garanimals outfits. Many of us wore animals clothes to school. And again, these are striped shirts and slacks, but it was a brand, animals or Hang 10, or whatever was of the time. They had your boys and girls clothing departments, and then they had their magazine and comic book racks. And at a Gemco or a Treasury, you bought the pre-packed three or four comic books. So for a buck twenty-five, you got three comics, or you got four comics, and that would actually carry on through the nineties. Shockingly, that was a very popular way to po- package comics um, all the way up till you know the mid-nineties. Because the image comics and the death of Superman, all that stuff was, was packaged in those specialty packages. So you wouldn't just grab a comic book off the rack, rack at these department stores, these big box stores, or the precursor to the big box stores. You would encounter a, uh, a pack that said there's three or four comics in here. Some had three, some had four. And, You'd have a Spider-Man on the cover and a Hulk on the flip side. And there were comics in between. And you'd always try and pinch the corner as much as you could to see, is that a Doctor Strange under there? Is that an Avengers? Is that an X-Men? Is that a Daredevil? Because it was always exciting to know like what you were getting. And they were all different. Sometimes the Spider-Man and the Hulk would have a Doctor Strange behind them. And sometimes Spider-Man and the Hulk would have a Fantastic Four. So you know you had to really manipulate because they were packed tight in plastic. And sometimes the girl would be like, hey, knock it off. Okay? So you had to be careful. But they also had magazines. That's why I discovered heavy metal. Um, and and later, when Marvel launched Epic magazine, their answer to heavy metal, I bought it at Jimco. Okay, so they had food, they had some groceries, they had a jewelry section, they had you know all of your home needs. But the great thing about Jimco was it had a crazy awesome record section and a great toy section. And I bought most of my original GI Joe uh dolls, the 12-inch, G.I. Joe Adventure Team, Bullet Man, Atomic Man, uh, the classic Joe Colton, the Kung Fu Grip, the Eagle Eye, G.I. Joe, those were all on the shelves at Jemco, which to me had the very best toy department of any uh department store that I went to. May Company Sears didn't have as many toys and records, but Jemco and the Treasury, the Treasury had a slightly better toy uh, department for me, but there was less treasuries. There was one treasury in Buena Park, California, a few blocks up from Knott's Berry Farm. It went out of business in the 80s. But I was buying uh, GI Joe's, my Mego, uh Star Trek, and my Mego, uh Marvel and DC char- character uh, dolls because they made killer Migo made killer superhero toys: Falcon, Captain America, Hulk, Conan, Aquaman. I mean, everybody, all the DC uh Major icons and all the Marvel icons, but power records showed up one day. There were large LPs and there were the 45, the smaller ones. And they would show up again, like I said, in these uh, Spider-Man issues, Hulk issues, Captain America issues, and Fantastic Four issues. Those were the Marvel ones that I collected. The I remember the Spider-Man was the man-wolf. J. Jonah's son had, J. Jonah Jameson's son had become a werewolf in the pages of Spider-Man, you know, before I got into it, probably from 73, 74. The Hulk at Bay pitted the Hulk between Abomination and the Rhino. It's a terrific Herb Trimpy cover. It has the Abomination, who is my favorite Hulk villain, and most likely because of this album. And then the Rhino, they're both running towards him. On the cover it says... The rhino coming at Hulk from one side, abomination from the other. Hulk must stop both or die. Okay. As a kid, you're grabbing this bright yellow banner at the top. The, the, the red Hulk at bay, the incredible Hulk at bay logo. Uh, it's the Herb Trimpy cover. This is actually a reprinting of Hulk 171, 20 cents. I have my Hulk 171 in my hands and it just doesn't have the big yellow banner behind it and the Hulk logo is yellow against red on 171 rather than the yellow banner that takes up about 30% of the the cover and the red logo of the Hulk. This was published in 1973, the Hulk at Bay power record with the accompanying album that would give you the voice action, the voice acting, the production. This, that was always in the back in a little fold-in and you would get your comic, and you, again you'd go home, you'd get a kick-ass comic. This is a great action packed. Hulk versus the abomination and rhino, this big awesome throwdown on the on the on the naval base. You got the army, you got Hulk just thrashing. This is such a blast. It um the actual comic book is drawn by Herb Trimpy, inked by Jack Abel, and the story is by Jerry Conway. It is a blast. But again, it came wrapped in plastic. And you knew if you got it, you got a book and a record. The action comes alive as you read. So there was four Marvels total, Spider-Man, Hulk, Captain America and the Falcon, which of course pitted them against Red Skull, and Fantastic Four, which recounted their origin. And uh, on on the back of all the albums had a killer mashup of John Buscema, uh, Gil Kane, and Herb Trimpey, you know, collage art superheroes. This action-packed book and record set includes a 20-page full-color illustrated storybook and a and a 7-inch 45 RPM record. It's been especially designed so that you can read the story and follow the record word for word. This is a real learning aid and creates a desire to read as it entertains. The action comes alive as you read. And then of course, for more exciting reading, be sure to complete your book series. And it shows the other ones that you don't buy that aren't in your hands. That you're not taking home that you want to come back and get. Spider-Man, Captain America, Fantasy IV. It says produced by Herb Davidson and Charlotte Sanders for the Charlotte Roos synthesizer Univoc group. Okay, so obviously they got the uh they got the license and they started making these records. And Power Records was a spin-off of Peter Pan Records, and Peter Pan Records had put out G.I. Joe records of the same style. The Action comes alive, but after GI Joe, which I could not locate my GI Joe forty fives, but they had all killer GI Joe versus the Mummy, GI Joe Jungle Adventure, um, all these killer GI Joes. They started popping up with the Marvels. That's the first stuff I saw, and then at the same time, the Planet of the Apes series hit, and I have every one of the Power Records Planet of the Apes, and these were originally produced. These are produced originally. For the Power Records book series. And you're getting four, I'm I'm, I'm telling you, these are full color comic books, full color comic books. Now it's clear if you're a comic book fan that Alfredo Alcala, who is a long time comic book, uh, talent in the field, uh, uh, illustrated this most excellent, most excellent adaptation of the Planet of the Apes film starring Charlton Heston, the classic. And, but it says produced by Arvin Knudsen, and associates. So this is some guy got the contract, you know, hired everybody out, uh, had them produce all these Planet of the Apes comics and then marketed them to uh, young kids like myself. The Planet of the Apes and the Marvel heroes on the inside front covers of both are together in a giant John Romita Sr. collage that has Dracula, Captain America, Hulk, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, Man-Thing, Werewolf, Frankenstein, and the Planet of the Apes because they branched off And they started doing the monsters of Marvel. Because why not? And you know what? I don't remember, but I'm sure they were released around Halloween. Because Marvel had a Frankenstein comic book, a Werewolf by Night comic book. They had a Mummy comic book, and they had a Tomb of Dracula acclaimed series. But here's the deal with the Planet of the Apes. And I'll go back and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll discuss the Marvel stuff. But you got to understand, this is a huge deal. Because department stores is where families go. And so now where families go... You not only have the Mego toys, you have the comic books on the rack in the, in the four packs, but you have comic books that have been licensed out to these record companies um, who are putting them front and center. Record uh, album displays were big deals in these department stores. They were very prominent. They had posters. They had big uh, end caps. And the the kid stuff was always right there at the kid level, and you could flip through it. And, man, I wasn't alone. I was next to other kids who were begging their mom to buy them Spider-Man or Hulk, you know, albums. But it didn't stop there. Again, uh, the Planet of the Apes, I'm going to tell you why in 1974 they made the Planet of the Apes series. is because the Planet of the Apes got a second win. Huge second win. I think that probably the last Planet of the Apes movie was in theaters in 72, 73. And by that time, the original, which I think is 1968, I'm I'm pretty close on that date, the original is now being stripped on, in syndication with all five movies. As I've said many times, the highlight of any season for me was when I got the TV guide. And in the TV guide, it showed you that the ABC Channel 7 afternoon movie was Go Ape Week. Go Ape! And that was, again, a giant selling point. And they'd have one of them ape soldiers with his finger out towards you, Go Ape! And on Monday, you got Planet of the Apes. Tuesday, you got Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Wednesday, you got Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Thursday, you got Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And Friday, you got Battle for the Planet of the Apes. And I cannot tell you how fast I would book it home from my school. I was about, you know, 10 blocks when the bell rang. And me and my buddies, Nathan, Kenneth, Paul, whomever was in the posse that day, we would truck it. We would run so fast. No skateboards, just on with our tennis shoes, sneakers, hooking as fast as we can. My house was the place where the sci-fi action went down. Some of my friends, I'm sure we've all got them. Nathan, his parents were even more like religious than my friends and my folks. Um, And my, my dad was a pastor, but he just knew that his kid loved the sci-fi. And he figured that it was and remains harmless. So he put me in front of the TV And didn't care because he saw how much I enjoyed it. And so Nathan, all the guys piling in my house was the place where the sci-fi went down. Their their parents would either pick them up at 5 or, like Nathan, he would cross the street because he literally lived two blocks across the street from me. We would watch these Planet of the Apes movies. And there's nothing more like getting them all told at once Monday through Friday. It's kind of like Netflix right now. A Monday through Friday binge at the Planet of the Apes, Go Ape. And meeting, you know... Uh, Taylor and going on that uh that journey with him and then continuing into the beneath the planet of the apes and the mutants and the world blowing up and then Cornelius and Zira coming out of the, the pod in present it well back then in present day in the 70s and having a kid and then they're dead and then Caesar and the is raised by the circus guy and conquests the planet of the apes. The apes are slaves in Century City, oh my gosh and then battle the planet of the apes you jumped and Caesar is now struggling to rule over man and ape combined, and we're back to the radioactive muties. That is like what we get with a binge today, when they drop an entire season in one day, and you watch it over three or four days, because I have never watched any series at once. The fastest i ever binged anything on Netflix is the Daredevil series one and two and Stranger Things. We gather as families, especially that first season of Stranger Things. It's like, what am I watching? This is this amazing callback, and it's so well done, and I loved it, and my kids loved it, my daughter loved it, my boys loved it, and we watched it basically over a 24-hour period. That's the fastest. Mostly, we pace ourselves. If something's dropping, we know we have several days, a couple episodes a day. We have other stuff to do. But back then, Planet of the Apes, boom, stripped. You see it regularly. It was twice a year. And then, on top of that, you might get it as a Sunday night movie you know, uh, uh, on the network somewhere down the road during the year. So those Planet of the Apes movies were hot, hot, hot. And Planet of the Apes at in 1973, 1974 was a Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, it was. I watched it. I never missed it. They The Apes flew, flew planes. They had helicopters. They dropped bombs. They drove tanks. It was more advanced because obviously all that stuff was much cheaper. And it was a more exciting version to me of the apes in the film because they, they they their their military might and muscle and their capabilities were much more on display. That if you can ever track down I have the box set, I have the DVDs. Oh my gosh, that season, that cartoon animated Planet of the Apes was fantastic. And on Friday nights on CBS there was a live action Planet of the Apes show with Burke and I forget the other guy, but there was two of them. It was great. It was great fun. So the apes were hot. So that's why you're getting these Planet of the Apes licensed through Marvel, appearing alongside the Marvel characters in the advertisement. That's why you got these records. And they adapted four of the films. They adapted Escape, Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and Battle of the Planet of the Apes. The only one they didn't do, and probably for the best, was the Conquest, which was more the, the most kind of social, uh, social learning, uh, more social commentary. And, and they, they picked the ones that had more of the action-packed, um, aspect to them. And again, you, you, th- these are really tremendously beautiful. On their own, these are tremendous comics, but you would get voice actors. You would get sound effects. And again, that ding, turn the page, ding. And, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, back of the apes one, Power Records wants you to go ape. Okay. Go ape. It says twice buy each of these and go ape. Okay. So this was an exciting time to be encountering these. And you got to understand that with these in stores, I, you know, wasn't understanding that I couldn't get this comic or that this was a separate comic or that this was an issue. You know, I just knew that I got this standalone Hulk adventure with two of my favorite bad guys that i had seen. And I got to listen to these adventures over and over and over again but it didn't stop there because, of course, Star Trek got into the picture and Star Trek and then DC Comics. Okay, so now what 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 are we missing here? We got Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain America. We got Dracula, Man-Thing, uh, Frankenstein, Werewolf by Night. We got the entire Planet of the Apes franchise on power records. G.I. Joe was on Peter Pan records. Okay, and now here comes Star Trek, Captain Kirk, Spock, the whole crew because, again, Star Trek syndicated Monday through Friday the... Three seasons of Star Trek are on Channel 5 here in the Southland, in Los Angeles, Orange County, where I grew up, on all the time. Five o'clock every day, twice on the weekends, so Star Trek was super hot. They didn't even have a movie yet. They wouldn't have a movie until 1979, but these power records were explosive. And then you got Conan the Barbarian, which was a red-hot license for Marvel Comics. And the thing about Star Trek and the thing about Conan, and then later the DC Comics out of the picture was Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman is the DC ones are original productions. These things are original productions by no less than the mighty Neil Adams, who DC hires out Neil and Dick Giordano's Continuity Studios. And if you want to Google these and look up these Star Trek power records and these Conan power records and the Batman and the Superman and the Wonder Woman, they are all gorgeous. The art is gorgeous. So they went a little further than Marvel, but to kids like myself, I didn't know. That the Hulk was not original because that issue was a year in the past, and I'm probably picking it up late 1974. This Hulk issue came out in early 73, and I'm encountering it for the first time. But it stokes my love of comics, my desire of comics, and I want to get them all, of course. And in case you're wondering, they're a buck fifty on each of them. They it says one fifty, a buck fifty. Now the Hulk at Bay comic book. Hulk 171 with an extra two pages because they would crop these because you're only getting 20 per. So generally the splash page got cut out of the comic and, and the second page and they would always kind of launch with some combination of maybe page one and page three, page one and page four, or maybe in the Hulk one they just go page three on, okay? This comic was 20, 20 cents when it came out. 20 cents is like, it's a lot of money in 1973. That's That's, you know, I'd get two bucks for mowing the lawn. So, you know, that, 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 that breaks it down to a soda, a candy bar, and a couple comics. Okay. These records at a buck fifty, you had to tug on your mom's, you know, blouse. Hey, mom, mom, come on, come on. Yeah. And kids my age, we had record sets. We had the cool little 45. We had the LPs. My sister had the sweet stereo system. She had the big woofers and the big stereo because she's seven years older than me. She was listening to rock and roll, kiss Peter Frampton, Eagles. Um, <laughs> all, all of Fleetwood Mac, Steely Dan, that's all the stuff, and, and, and very soon to come ACDC, uh, I would hook up and listen to her record system and listen to these voice actors. And I'm telling you, man, this Planet of the Apes stuff, I, the Planet of the Apes were my favorite because I just could not get enough of the Planet of the Apes world. And uh, But these Marvels, they were in regular circulation, and more importantly, they were marketed, as I said, in these big box stores, so their reach went beyond the normal kind of spinner rack at the corner market, which was your 7-Elevens, your stop and Goes, your U-Totems, your liquor stores, your, your grocery stores, okay? You didn't get these. I didn't get these albums at my grocery store. I never saw a grocery store that covered, carried these. But again, you're on your family jaunt, and let me tell you something. Kids love to go to the mall, before the mall, kids love to go to the department store with mom and with dad. And again, whether it was any time they needed to jump out, man, I made sure I was in that back car because I could just go look at the toys. I could go look at the records. I would look at the back of the Star Trek records and I would think, oh man, if I can just save enough money next week and I can get this. I didn't know who Neil Adams was at the time. I just knew that the artwork was smoking, brilliant. The Conan looked amazing. The artwork in the Conan was like next level. Like, wow, I thought it was even better than the comic book. So interacting with these... And reading these stories, I thought, for for the life of me, uh, I'm thinking... Because it doesn't say Hulk 171, one whatever, on the cover of the record. It just says, The Hulk at Bay. And I remember that just sounded so awesome At Bay. And again, you got an action-packed comic with your hero against two of his villains. Spider-Man, he's with Man-Wolf. Captain America and the Falcon are, buying, are battling Red Skull. To me, those were standalone. I didn't know that they weren't original, because those issues predated me grabbing comics. As I said, I can't emphasize that enough. These were original to me. These were new. So when I read that the DC comics and the and the uh, Conan and the Star Treks were original adventures, I had no idea. I thought they were all original. All I knew is that they came with great voice acting. They engaged me. They made me want to go out in the backyard, play these characters more. They made me want to buy the Mego dolls, the action figures, buy the Slurpee cups. Because really, what this is that it, this is before your characters, before the Hulk becomes Eric Banya. And before he becomes Mark Ruffalo, uh, you know, and, and, and Spider-Man is Tom Holland or uh, Maguire or, you know, all the different actors, um, you know, before Captain America is Chris Evans. Before these are giant movie stars. And that's the way my kids grew up encountering these. These are albums. They're toys. Uh, and And for some of them. You know, the DC characters had Saturday morning cartoons since nineteen seventy five. Super Friends was a giant hit and continued for season upon season upon season. And prior to that, Superman, Batman, and Aquaman had their own show in the late sixties that got stripped every morning when I was a kid. Early morning, seven AM before I went to school, I could get a glimpse of the Batman or the Superman or the Aquaman. Uh Aquaman would ride in on his you know, seahorse with Aqualad and he'd throw you know, his his whole offensive was throwing you know, balls of water at you. Boom, boom, knock the criminals out or the bad guys or whoever was underwater. But DC seemed to have more of a cartoon reach and we're right before the Lou Ferrigno Hulk show would start airing in 76, 77 and Wonder Woman would start airing in 76, 77. We're right before that that echo between the Batman show ending, the Adam West, Burt Ward show. We're in like a several year echo and then the next live action wave would come with The Incredible Hulk on Friday nights on CBS, and obviously the brilliant Linda Carter Wonder Woman series. Now, Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman also functioned in this capacity as kind of, you know, superheroes to my psyche. They just were born on TV, not in the pages of Marvel and DC comic books. But whether it was the Mego dolls or the Power Records with that ding, because you knew with that ding, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's at this point in this Very fun Power Records podcast that we are going to let you, at this very point, we are going to let you hear an excerpt from our brilliant Power Records. So coming at you right now, we are going to share with you an excerpt so you can hear from yourself what little Robbie Liefeld and the kids of the 70s were hearing. This is an excerpt from The Incredible Hulk at Bay.
1: Nobody in the whole wide world will ever stop us again You're the same kind of creature as the Hulk A gamma ray mutant Wrong fool I'm far more powerful than that green lump. I'm the abomination The strongest mutant of all Uh. Not bad friend In the meantime Look at what I caught What is this? What do you want? One lady we want the Hulk's blasted green hide. We kind of thought we'd team up to blast that flat-headed creep into tomorrow. As soon as the Hulk shows up here, and we figure to get him here with all this Hulkbuster equipment, all of you and him are gonna be dead. Twelve hours and night falls. A car with two young passengers moves ever closer to the sprawling Arizona complex known as Hulkbuster Base Number One. Jim Wilson. We've come almost 2,000 miles from New York, so you can say hi to some friends. I tell you, honey, old General Ross and me go back more years than I... Uh-oh. Looks like a roadblock. Twelve hours, and the hook must has been completely and effectively surrounded. Let's see your ID. Oh, what's going on? Some sort of raid? Well, that's our business, mister. Your business is to get out of here before we begin to get a little suspicious. Okay, friend. I get the general idea. Two more hours pass. My head! I must have been more tired than I thought. It just goes to show you a man can't lead a double life without getting pretty exhausted. Now that's odd. No one here. Not even a guard posted. Something's wrong, I can feel it. Dear Lord in heaven, no! Betty, General Ross, even Colonel Armbruster, sealed into one of the Hulk retaining cells? What in the name of sanity is going on? Dazed, the renowned scientist can only stare. He does not hear the approach of the massive figure known as the Abomination. He doesn't hear until it's much too late. Another one. We thought we'd capture all the humans on this base. A fist, like a slab of iron, clamps over Banner's mouth and nose, and the abruptness of this attack causes Banner to become excited. His heart begins to pound, and in the darkness of the dimly-lit corridor, Robert Bruce Banner begins to change. Then, where once stood a quiet physicist, now stands the Incredible Hulk. (laughs) You stand, Hulk wakes up, and everyone attacks him. Wait! Hulk do hit you before! Hulk will do it again! Keep back, Rhino. We can capture him with one of the Hulkbuster base's specially designed weapons. Guns? Hulk thought only soldiers use guns! Hulk does a slight touch. Hulk will go away! Stop him, Abomination! Stop him! No, he won't go far. He'll go far. He'll be back, and we'll be ready for him. One hour. Wilson and his girl Talia to drive around the Buster base to find another unguarded entrance and to use it. Not a soul in sight. And all that wreckage on the airfield. Let's get out of here, Jim. Hulk, big friend, am I glad to see you, especially at a time like this. Listen, do you know what's happening? Jim is Hulk's friend. Maybe Jim can explain why ugly people attack Hulk.
0: So you just heard an awesome experience that just thrilled me as a kid. This incredible Hulk at Bay excerpt that that's that's how we experienced comic books coming to life. Again, what is the ad? It says, you know, your action comes alive. And again, before... TV, before movies, this is the way comics were branching out, the way the licensing was occurring, the way the licensing was reaching us. And shortly thereafter, it would happen in the version of Slurpee Cups. And kids my age know, man, Marvel put out a wave. X-Men, Spider-Man, Daredevil, Thor, Avengers, Fantastic Four. Some of them were original drawings. Some of them were cover illustrations, pinups, that they put on these giant Slurpee Cups, and part of the fun was collecting all of the different Slurpee cups. And me and my buddies would be like, ah, I've already got the X-Men. I need Fantasy Four. The 7-Eleven doesn't have a Fantasy four And the panic that would set in when you could not get the cup that you were looking for that week because they were not all released at the same time. There was a variety of different packs. Some would be available at 7-Elevens in Anaheim. The others were in Buena Park. Some were in Fullerton, depending on where you stop. Kids of, of of my generation. We were consumed Marble and marble was really at the dawn of this next level marketing, and it would go to like hard glass, glass, you know, cups and coasters, and I think that was in conjunction with maybe Burger King, a uh, fast food uh, a tie-in. But the comic books, whether it was Power Records or the Migo dolls, it was an era where again you are experiencing the comic books on different shelves and different aisles than you are encountering them in the dark spinner racks of your local market now here's the funny thing what stopped did people stop did why didn't they transition to cassettes you know because you'd go cassette way before you would go to DVDs and CDs CDs would not become a thing until the mid 80s i remember the first CDs when they hit and i was a little reluctant because i didn't want to have to install that and pay for that in my car but once you got it boom there was no looking back cassettes were the rage for for you know, a good six, seven, eight years. And I'm not talking about the, uh, I, I'm talking about the, the standard cassette tapes, not the 8-tracks. The 8-tracks had a weird weird life of their own. I never saw anything comic book related on the 8-tracks, but how come they didn't make a, the transition, right? Well, it appears that Migo and Power Records, Peter Pan Records, both had the same kind of uh, little bump in the road. And if you are familiar with either company, Mego was crushing it. Not only did they have their super their superhero line of toys, which also included Wait For it, Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, okay? They had all the Star Trek characters. I bought Sulu, McCoy, Spock, uh uh Captain Kirk. I had Falcon, the thing, the entire Fantasy IV, Tarzan, Spider-Man, the Lizard. I mean the Mego dolls were amazing. They were amazing. The articulation was great. The sculpting, the faces were terrific. I mean they they were. Absolutely satisfying on the level of a collector, a kid, and and you wanted to get as many as you could and punch them. You wanted to get you wanted to get heroes and villains and have them punch them out in the sandbox in the backyard in your room. You know th- they were really great quality toys. But Mego also, sidebar, had the Micronauts line of toys that was very successful uh, fr- from the you know the mid kind of seventies, nineteen seventy seven. They they shot into the stratosphere. Became very successful toys uh all the way into nineteen seventy eight but some of you guys don't understand that when Star Wars hit with a boom with a giant you know thunder that movie crashed into our lives on Memorial Day of nineteen seventy seven there was no licensing uh, as you've heard the famous story that there was no toys there was no nothing they had to quickly scramble to get anything out there for us to consume I remember the first thing that hit was the bubblegum stickers. And of course, there was Marvel bubblegum stickers, trading cards as well, panels from the, uh, from the comic books. And again, original, original art. Jack Kirby, John and me the senior, all these guys had done original, um, sticker and card art. And it was just, oh, was so fun to collect that stuff. And again, you know, maybe a quarter, maybe 30 cents and you got yourself six, seven cards and you got a nice, big, juicy wad of gum to, to chew the whole way home until the flavor went out. And that then went cardboard and out of your mouth. But, just lost its flavor. But those stickers, those cards, it was great. Star Wars arrived first. I remember me and my buddies, we pulled our lawn money and we bought a case of Star Wars cards. And we then divvied up the 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 you know the difference. We opened every pack and then every double, you know, we turned into one E twenty, and then we traded, you know, if there was single cards. It was exciting stuff. This is what you did on your front lawn in 1977 when you are obsessed with something and you can't DVR it and rewatch it and it's not binge worthy. It, the, the 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 only technology that you can see Star Wars on there is no V V uh, VCS. There's no V VHS tape. There's no there's no way to watch it other than if you are at the theater and you drive home with your memories and the cards, which were all the different stills from Star Wars, was just a way to transport yourself. Marvel comics, the original shots of Hulk and Spider Man and Doctor Strange and Dormammu. They did all the weird ones. They did Doc Ock. They did Lizard. They did Craven. I mean, just you just wanted to collect them all. They really had this satisfaction because in between the 30 days that your comic books came out, you could grab cards. You could grab Slurpee Cups. You could grab Power Records. You could grab Mego dolls. Much more expensive, yes, but it was all the way to, you know, keep your fever going. And the fever was everything. But with Star Wars, those toys were not ready. At Christmas of 1977, you guys, people people don't remember that it wasn't until spring of 78 that the Star Wars toys made it to market. The demand was there. I was one of those guys that got that box from Sears, Montgomery Ward, another department store chain, that you put your down payment and you got a box with cardboard, you know, cutouts and a place setting of you came back when your order came in and you get all the figures. And that's how Kenner sold you on the fever because people wanted toys. They wanted to play with the Star Wars stuff. So Christmas 77, you're still having to buy Mego toys, Star Trek toys, Planet of the Apes toys, Super Marvel and DC superhero toys, okay? There is no Star Wars merchandise. That doesn't come until 78. But when it does, it sends a killer blow. Mego infamously uh passed on buying the license to Star Wars, like so many others. And look, this is par for the course with Star Wars. Every studio, Warner Brothers passed on Star Wars. Paramount passed on Star Wars. MGM passed on Star Wars. Again, Universal passed on Star Wars. George Lucas, you know, and his buddies at Fox were the only people that believed in him. And that's why uh Star Wars eventually happened, but everybody else passed. Star Wars was... You know, famously being passed on. So as a toy, everybody passed. Mego, the hottest action figure collectible. They passed Kenner. Needed this in the worst way, and took a flyer and voided it pay off! It paid off to the tune of wiping out Mego, Kenner's Star Wars, basically wiped out everybody else. The aisles shrank for all the other toys. It um that that real estate was only available to Star Wars when it came out. They dominated. I was there. Not just the figures, the playsets, the Death Star playset, which I had, the Tie Fighter, the X-Wings, all that stuff. I mean, it took over. By that time, uh, I was buying toys from a department store that had become the favorite of my family's, and it was called Mervyn's. And Mervyn's had now the best toy section. They had the best toys with the Star Wars toys, but Mego faded, and Power Records faded because guess who else? Who else? passed on the Star Wars license. And I am telling you, the historians will tell you, that Power Records, Peter Pan, and Mego Toys, both companies passed on the chance to market and produce Star Wars items. And by not having the item everybody wanted and the fever that the entire nation was caught up in And again, I am nine years old in 1977. I do not, in the summer of 1977, I am nine. I turned... 10 in October, and then I am 10 all the way through, obviously October 78. That is the prime Star Wars time. It seemed like it never left the theater. It was on constantly. It was the talk of the town. It was the trading cards. It was the mugs. When they finally got merchandise out, everybody consumed Star Wars. People looked past everything. It just seemed like everything else came to a screeching halt, including my beloved Power Records, which just defined an age for me. It, 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 expanded comic books. And anybody my age right now who can remember this, maybe it's your dad, um, maybe some of you are going to go on eBay and check these out. They're out there. They're available. I am now creating my own rival collecting force because uh, the last time I was at a convention, I actually did heist two of the um, uh, 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 Planet of the Apes albums that I didn't have. I didn't have Battle and I didn't have Beneath. And I saw Beneath the Planet of the Apes and Battle of the Planet of the Apes, Power Records with a dealer. And man, I snatched them up so fast. And I've got all the Marvel ones except for the monster ones. But if I see the monster ones, I'm buying them. Uh, you know, so so now if some of you guys are keen to these, you're going to want to go buy these. And I am, uh, upping the prices for myself uh, as I bid on eBay or at conventions, as I grab some of these, I know, uh, so many of you guys have told me that you are engaging in some of the stuff that we discuss because it, it either tickles your youth or it's something new to you. And, uh, Funny enough, you know, I talk about Frank Miller a whole lot on this show, and uh and the other night I saw a discount on his Daredevil Omnibus, which I already have a copy of, uh which I keep in really good shape, but I couldn't resist and What came on with me was another Frank Miller Daredevil Electra omnibus. Do not tell my wife I am buying too much stuff, too much stuff that I don't need, but the fever it catches you right, and the fever of power records ding turned the page was phenomenal, having voice actors and sound effects. And the cool narration just seemed to make comics even cooler. I wish there was more of them. I wish there was X-Men and Avengers. And I wish there was Defenders. I wish they had gone deeper into this. I would have loved to have had the Star Wars comic come to life as well. But alas, that is not what occurred. That is not what happened. And Power Records, along with Mego and Slurpee Cups, eventually disappeared. But the licensing of Marvel and Power Records and Mego Toys and Slurpee Cups or just a magic part of the superhero age that was the seventies before we got to the amazing, you know, world of, of, of 2008 and the arrival of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man or 2000, the summer of 2000, the incredible performance, the X-Men movie brought to life with Sir Patrick Stewart, Ian McCullen and the debut of the mighty Hugh Jackman. This is the world that we existed in. Uh, Back in the 70s, it was exciting. I loved Jimco. I miss Jimco. When I drive by the street that Jimco used to be on, I I have you know pangs of 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 nostalgia of going there with my mom. And like I said, from Garanimals to jewelry to Heavy Metal magazine to comics on the rack and to Power Records and to Mego dolls, that was just a magic time. And those uh, just fed my love and my fever and my desire, my compassion for comics. So thank you for going down this journey. Power Records, uh, such a fun time. Look those up, check those up. If you bought them, if you collected them, if you consume them, let me know. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. You can catch me there at Robert Liefeld with the blue check uh, to, to, to disseminate me from the fake accounts on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld, again with the blue check. And to set me apart from the phony accounts. I am all over social media. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our excursion into power record. Power record. Mego Doll, Early merchandising phase of comic books. Uh, the Neil Adams books. The Marvel ones. The DC ones. They're all worth checking out. We will be back soon with yet another episode of Rob's Observations. Looking back. The past informs the future. Yes it does. You know it. I know it. I can't wait to talk to you again and visit with you guys again. Take care. Stay safe. We will talk soon.